Good morning. Thanks, Charles. Now I can't hide behind that thing anymore. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Paul Marvel. Uh, Charles, in his excellent planning, had uh, asked me to preach about three, three or four months ago, and so I've had plenty of time to <coughs> talk to God and fret over this. And last week, Bradley talked about how anxious he was, and I'm feeling it right now, Bradley. <coughs> but this, uh, the series that we're in is, is I really love this series that Charles chose leading up to Christmas. In Isaiah 9, 6, we're talking about, I'm going to read the, the verse for you. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so leading up to Christmas, we've been going over each one of those titles that Jesus, the Son, has been called. And we've got Charles talk, talk to us about Wonderful Counselor. Last week, Bradley talked about Mighty God. And this week, I get a Everlasting Father, which I'm super excited about to preach. But once I got to looking at it, I'm like, Thanks, Charles. He gave me the really hard one. I get to talk about eternity and the Trinity because the Son is the Father, right? So I get the really, really easy one. But uh, I like that term, the title, Everlasting Father, as I thought about that. You know, we, I, if you take nothing else from today, I hope that you take away the encouragement that our Father in Heaven is everlasting and He provides everything we ever need. Our Father in Heaven, who is love, is the source of all love, never fails. And so, if you only hear that, I pray that you go home and you just dwell on that fact. That no matter what goes on in this world, no matter how we fail each other, that you can rest on that. I know, as brothers and sisters, and in this example, fathers, you know, we, we fail each other often. And I, I, as I was thinking about this, I think, you know, I'm sure my dad has questioned his love for me at times when we're elk hunting. And I may or may not have shot an elk way too far back in the woods, you know. He questions me. But our, earth, our Heavenly Father never fails. And it's never ending, the love He has for us. So I wanted to define a father today is one who protects, provides, and guides. And as I was thinking about this constantly for three months straight, I was trying to get some organization, and I'm scrolling through Facebook one day, and Lisa Lindland, you posted, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I've read it a hundred times over the last three months. When I read that, it clicked in my head. That's exactly what our ever, everlasting Father does. Is he protects us with a way of salvation. He guides us with the truth, and he provides us with true life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, our brothers and sisters to help inspire us and to encourage 
uh, each other. And Lord, I, I just pray that this day you would speak through me with your words, that you would open the ears of those who would listen, that the ultimate goal of drawing ever closer to you would be accomplished. Lord, I thank you so much for the challenges that we have and the growth that we experience through it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you, if you are able and willing, will you stand with me as we read through John 14? Verses 1 through 14. Talking about the everlasting Father. It says, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. That I will do, that the Father may be glorified. I will do it. Please be seated. The way, the truth, and the life. So I'm going to start off with the truth. God's word. The everlasting Father guides us with truth. It's universal. It's everlasting. It's eternal. But I think to myself, how can we, I hear, I hear the questions I've heard all my life from, from my friends, from people that I talk to, how can we trust that the Bible is true? How can we trust something written by man, right? And I know there's a few of my friends in the audience who are thinking, oh, Paul just picked up his phone, I'm going to text him. I beat you to it, I'm on airplane mode, so you can't text me. The Bible, why is it true? Because of its complete historical accuracy. Think about this. Everything in archaeology, everything that's ever, ever been dug up, only proves the Bible is true. Nothing contradicts the Bible that has been dug up in archaeology. One thing I think of, and I don't know how recent it was, but they dug up a, a sign of Pontius Pilate, and said, it said he was the governor of Judea around the time of Jesus. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, we already knew that, right? But they actually found a sign. And stuff like that, that they, nothing ever contradicts what the Bible has already said. It's absolute scientific accuracy. There's so many things in the Bible 
that we are discovering now or, or we've only just discovered the last 500 years or whatever. The Bible has already spoke of these things, whether it's the stars in the sky or the, the fact that the earth is round, not flat, and I'll fight you on that. Because of the Bible's amazing prophetic accuracy, over, around 2,500 prophecies in the Bible, and over 2,000 of them have already come true. Just the whole idea of prophecies, and not just they kind of came true, they absolutely came true, every one of them. And you've, heard, you've probably heard that example where just the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled was something like the same odds as dropping a quarter in a pile of quarters the size of Texas a foot deep and jumping out of an airplane and landing and picking that exact quarter up is the same probability of, you know, I don't know. It's ridiculous. It's out of this world. The Bible is divinely engineered. It's divinely engineered unity. Think about this. It's written by 40 different authors, 66 different books over a time period of over 1,500 years, and it does not contradict itself. How is that even possible except through the power of God? It's supernatural survival, and this always blows me away. There are 5,600 Greek manuscripts that we have, around 5,600, just Greek manuscripts of, of the Bible that we have today. They are dated the time period in between when they think they were written and we have an actual manuscript is so short, it's within 100 years. There is no time for any myths or legends to be created. I, and I say that because I have a friend at work that's told me that before. He's like, oh, it's just a myth. It's a fairy tale. It's not possible. We have the proof right here. The manuscripts in the original language written with within a generation of when it was actually pinned. The next, here's an example of the next of, of the next ancient manuscripts that are available. The Iliad, the Homer written by Homer. The, we only have 643 copies, and the time period between they think when they think it was written and the actual manuscript is 500 years. That's the best one to compare to the Bible that we have. And I forgot to mention, not only do we have 5,600 Greek manuscripts, but there's 19 to 20,000 in other languages, manuscripts from the, from the ancient past. So to say that the Bible has not survived the test of time is just ridiculous. And the fact that they're written so close to when they, people who are way smarter than me, can figure out when they were written is, just blows my mind, you know? The textual accuracy of all of those manuscripts, 99.5% accurate, meaning the only differences they have in between all these manuscripts is punctuation. Absolutely nothing doctrinally is contradicted or, or said differently. That blows me away. The fact that the apostles and the prophets were convinced it was the very word of God and died horrible deaths 
because of it. Think about it. If they knew it was a lie, they would not have died the way they died. They were absolutely convinced that it was the Word of God and it was what they were teaching. The Word of God that we have written right here was told to the apostles and they wrote it down for, for all of time. And finally, because Jesus believed it, he quoted it. He quoted the Old Testament. He, he spoke God's word. We have, and we have the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts when we hear the truth that is universal, that is eternal. So the truths in the word, you know, I joked about having to define the Trinity and eternity. We can find definition in there. We don't have to wrap our heads around it. Like, for instance, the Trinity. The Bible says in Genesis, God says, let us create man in our image. The word for God in, in Genesis and the whole Old Testament is plural, more than one. Jesus, when he was baptized, he was, the son was baptized. The father speaks from heaven, says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit dwells upon him, came down upon him like a dove. All three of them right there together in that moment. And finally, Jesus gives us the command, the Great Commission, go make, go make disciples, baptizing them what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity, can I explain it? Can I wrap my head around it? No, I cannot. I do not understand it. Is it true? Absolutely it's true. Because God's Word says it is. Eternity. What I like, what, I was thinking about with eternity, and, and that's a hard one too. I lay awake at night my mind's blown thinking about eternity. We're not, we're not designed to think like that. There's a beginning and an end to everything. But eternity is real because God's word says it's true. God's word says his love endures forever. His mercy is forever. His compassion, he is faithful. Did you know that we are eternal? Think about that. We were created to be eternally with God. Matthew 25 46 talks about Jesus calling the goats and the sheep, right? The righteous and the unrighteous. And he says the unrighteous will have eternal punishment. The righteous will have eternal life. There's no gray area. It's one or the other. We are eternal. We were created to be eternally with him. And the thing about it is I don't have to wrap my head around these things. I can take God's word for what it is because I like Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 when he, God says, my, my ways are higher than your thoughts, your ways. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and thoughts higher than your ways. I can totally accept that. I can live with that. Because in Romans, we, we have a desire, do we not, to, to seek that truth, to know God, to know why we're here, what's the purpose? And in Romans 1, it talks about the fact that his invisible attributes are clearly seen. General revelation, why is that leaf the way it is? Why, you know, why does eyesight work the way? What is emotion? All these things. Because as a divine nature, God created it. And it's understood by creation. How many people have you heard say, 
well, I believe there is a higher power, but they struggle with Jesus Christ, right? But they know there's a higher power. They know there's something out there because it's written on our hearts. The truth of why we were created is in God's word, the purpose in life. We were created out of love to love. Simple as that. Ephesians 2.10 also says we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's it. And later I'll talk about it, but that's the freedom we have in Christ, to live like that. In Isaiah 48, 40, verse 8, it says God's word will last forever. And it's funny because it's funny how God works because I was in my mom's, mom and dad's bathroom and reading their shower curtain, and that's where Isaiah 40 was. And I was like, yes, that's going in my sermon right there. God's word is everywhere. God's word never changes. In Malachi 3.6 and Hebrews 13.8, Malachi, God says, I never change. Hebrews, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can trust his word is going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever, no matter what situations we're going through. And it is such a comfort that we have that to fall back on, that we can study that, learn that, talk about it with our brothers and sisters, read it on my mom's shower curtain, and draw strength from that, right? The Father is everlasting, and His truth lasts forever. There is so much comfort and answers in all of that. One thing I wanted to say, too, when I was talking about all the different things about the apologetics of it all, the accuracy, the historical, prophetic, divinely engineered, the supernatural survival, I challenge you to tell me I'm wrong. I challenge you to go read, go do your own research. Go read books by Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. Go read... Uh, um, Evidence, de evidence demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. This one is More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell. Read the research that they did. Smarter men than me have already looked into all of these things. And you'll get way more detail than I've given you here today. In fact, if you want this book, you can have it later. But I challenge you to follow up on those things, those statements that I've made. I challenge you to follow up with the scripture that I just quoted you. Because if I'm wrong, it's your responsibility to tell me. But God's word is the truth, and it, it's, it speaks to us every day. And I want you to, that's the beauty of God's word, isn't it? That it's available to all of us. We can go and study it, and then take it to our brothers and say, this is what I think it is. And Brian will tell me, no, you're wrong, Paul. This is what it means, and this is why. And we have the Holy Spirit to guide us through that process, to under truly understand God's truth that is universal and everlasting. Secondly, the everlasting Father protects us with the way, the way of salvation. I've heard, I've heard say that somebody once said, Technically, there's two ways of salvation. There's two ways to earn your way to get to heaven. And, and please don't run away running, saying, heresy, heresy. You know, you said there's two ways to heaven. Listen to me first. 
The first way is to live a perfect and sinless life. And you all failed at that already. But there is one that did live a perfect and sinless life. And he was a perfect sacrifice for all of us who have been separated from God by our sins. And that is Jesus Christ. That's why he says, I am, no one comes to the Father except through me. Not all roads lead to heaven. There is one way to heaven, and that is through. That is through Jesus Christ. And he did it for me. And he did it for every single one of you. He, he did it for the ones who are cursing his name right now. He did it for everyone. Jesus is the only way to heaven. The only one that could pay that price. And here's, here's the kicker too. God had that plan from the beginning. The moment he decided to create man, he's like, I already got a way of salvation for you. Because I know that you'll fail. And what I mean by fail is we sin against a holy and pure God, right? Anything that we do, no matter how small we think our sin is, it separates us from God. But from the very beginning, he has had a plan of salvation for us, and it's the free gift of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 25, he says, you will inherit the kingdom prepared you from the foundation of the world. First Peter, it was foreordained. In Titus, he says it was promised before time began. He was thinking about you before you were even created. In John 14, the verses for today, 1 through 6, I, wanna, I don't want you to miss what's said here either, the reassurance there and the comparison that that Jesus is talking about. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. <clears throat> I love that he starts, out, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. I want you to catch what he's talking about there. If you He's talking about the Jewish wedding ceremony. When he goes, he's going away to prepare a place for you. Let me read through this quick list, and I'm not sure if this is complete or I, there are several other things, but uh, different people, different steps, but I think this is all of the steps of the Jewish wedding ceremony. And when I read through this, those of you that know your scriptures or have read the Bible or, or are familiar with certain things, Listen to where Jesus has previously talked about, like the ten virgins with their lamps, keeping them lit, being ready, and waiting for who? The bridegroom, right? The wedding feast. There's always a, there's talking about the wedding feast, the, the covenants that are made, the, the cup that is drank. So let me run through this. In the back of your mind, I want you to think about those sorts of things, okay? Going and preparing a place for you. First of all, selection. The bride is selected. Then the bride is purchased. The bride price was established. They're betrothed. 
They, the bride and groom are betrothed to each other. It is communicated. A written document is drawn up. It is consented. The bride must give her consent. It is sealed. Gifts were given to the bride, and a cup called the cup of the covenant was shared between the bride and the groom. Hmm, what did we just get done doing? There's somebody's next communion meditation. Cleansed. The bride had a water, uh, water immersion, which is a ritual of cleansing. Separated, the bridegroom departed. The bride prepared. The bridegroom went back to his father's house and prepared the bridal chamber, while the bride prepared for her new home. Awaited, the bridegroom would return with a shout. Behold, the bridegroom comes, and the sound of the ram's horn would be blown. Escorted, he would abduct his bride, usually in the middle of the night, to go to the bridal chamber where the marriage would be consummated. This is the full marriage. And finally, celebrated. There would be a marriage supper for all the guests invited by the father of the bride. All those things that are in, we could go on for hours and hours. The picture of Jesus Christ as the bridegroom and the church is his bride. We are his bride. He has gone away. The bridegroom has departed, has he not? But he's going to come again. He's coming for us. And in his father's house are many mansions, many mansions, one for everybody, in, in other words. The word mansions, it's, you know, it's fun to think uh, we're going to have this beautiful four-wall mansion in heaven. But I think that takes away from the real message. I think the word is better translated dwelling place. In fact, in, down in verse 23, John 14 the same word for mansions is used when Jesus is saying, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Same word. So when you think about Jesus goes to prepare a place, there are many mansions. It's a dwelling place with the Lord God Almighty, and you have a reservation there. You have a spot with the God of the universe. And I just, that just really hit me because I've always heard that. You, you hear that all the time. Mansions in heaven, it's going to be great. In our finite minds, that's the way we think, right? It's going to be beautiful and everything. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. We have a spot next to God and there's many of them there. So, again, take that. Go home and investigate that, the Jewish wedding ceremony. Go through your reading. When you're going through your reading and thinking about the different things that are happening, the bridegroom departed. He's coming back for him. He comes in the middle of the night like a thief in the night. There's a scripture there, right? We don't know the time or place, but he is coming back mansion, the dwelling place that he's got for us, all those things. And I bring this up because in our society, we can miss these things. The way that Jesus is talking to the Jewish people right here and relating to them, we can miss that and think, oh, I just, I've got a mansion in heaven. You know, it's so much more than that. It'll be so glorious and so wonderful. But again, he, the everlasting father, 
has provided the way for us to be there with him forever. And finally, the everlasting Father provides us with life. Obviously, he's provided us a way to eternal life instead of eternal judgment, eternal damnation. We have eternal life with him. But we also have life now. I think about, well, let's read John, the last verses there. I'm not going to read through them again. I'm just going to highlight them. But he, Jesus is saying, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words I speak, I, or I don't do on my own. I do it on his authority. The things that I do are because God, the Father, is telling me to do them. So when we think about life, Jesus is saying, I'm showing you the life right here. He's telling his disciples, I'm showing you what to do right here. We have it written down what life, true life is, not this mundane stuff that we think is life or the, the things that, that we try to fill our hearts with that mean nothing, true life from, from our Lord. And I think of John 10.10 10, when Jesus says, I come to give life abundantly. I come to give life abundantly. That speaks to me of right here and right now. That speaks of how to live in this crazy world that we live in with our different views and the different people. And I was really struggling with, you know, uh, this last part of, of life because I just know in my head there's, obviously Jesus showed us the way. So, you know, what kind of list can I give you? What can I talk about? And my wife, in her wisdom, she says, well, tell them how your life has changed. My testimony. And I thought about that, and I'm, you're absolutely right. My life has changed since I've followed Christ. I've always believed in Christ. There's never a moment that I didn't know that there was a God or believe that Jesus is was who he was. And uh, I have a Bible at home that says I was baptized when I was 10. And that's the only reason I remember is because it's written in it that I was baptized when I was 10. But what I want to try to tell you is 12 years ago, God put me on my knees. Not only saved my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my family. But he gave me life. And you know what the funny thing was? He was always there. I just had to turn around. He was always there. And as soon as I started following him, reading his word, studying his ways, knowing his truth, sharing his truth, drawing love from him, the source of all love, and sharing that with those around me with a peace that is indescribable that I never found 
in any other avenue before I was 40. I have freedom of Christ. I have freedom. I heard it once said, to love God and do whatever I want. And that's what we can do. We have that freedom. If we truly love God, we can do whatever you want. Because you know what you're going to want to do? Is His will. And that's those last verses there. It says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What is a name? That was big in the Jewish time. In Jewish thought, a name does not just identify or distinguish a person. It expresses the very nature of his being. In his name is not a magic word. It's not a spell to get whatever we want. When we ask things in his name, we are following his will. We desire his will. We desire to live life abundantly as he has designed it. So as the worship team comes up, I want to leave you with this. Where is your personal relationship with Jesus at? And I'm talking to everybody here. Whether you have accepted him or not, whether you have lived with Christ for your entire life, where are you at right now? Is your life an abundant life because of Jesus Christ? Or are you still trying to be in control? I talked with one guy once and I said, just quit. That's what we need to do. Quit. And what I mean by that is surrender to him. Quit trying to do things your own way, Paul. Do it Christ's way. There's so much power and glory, such a peace that I wish I wish I could just Well, first of all, I wish I could stay consistent with it cuz I stumble all the time. But I wish I could just give that to those who are lost. Just you know how we do that? We just love them. The people that we have troubles with. We just keep loving them. He made it simple for us. We just love on them. Seek his peace in the troubles. When people wrong you. It's the free gift. This is the kicker. He sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to help us. We are not on our own. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling with inside, inside of us as baptized believers to help us to love our neighbors, to help us to love our enemies, to have good attitude when things aren't going well at all, to be the light in a dark world. So, if you have a decision to make today, I pray that you make it right now. Follow Christ. 
follow his way. He's the everlasting father has provided for us, given us truth to live by, to live an abundant life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. Thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your son, for the sacrifice. We thank you for the peace that we can find only through your son. And I pray this for all who are listening today, that they would find that peace. Because it is so amazing, Lord. Help us to share it with the world. In your name I pray. Amen.